Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the God, to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home?" That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So I'll pray for Steve before he speaks. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that we're all here together to worship you. I thank you for our children and for our adults alike. I pray for Steve as he speaks today that you'll be here in the building with us and that we'll hear your word through him. Amen. Amen. So it's our last week in the book of Jonah. We come to the end of the story. What's the story about? Who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? Every story has a protagonist, someone who agonizes for the good. And everyone has an antagonist, someone who antagonizes against the good. In normal language, a goodie and a baddie. Who's a goodie? Who's a baddie? Who's a goodie? It's not Jonah. Not the fish. Who's the goodie? Verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The word here for concern, often translated compassion, is this idea of deep love and pity for the city, which Jesus later would have for the city of Jerusalem. What's the story about? The protagonist is God. He's the goody. He's seeking to bring his grace and his love and his mercy to a big, bad, pagan, unbelieving city. The biggest of its day, Nineveh. Who's the antagonist? Who's the baddie? It's Jonah. Actually, it's you and me. Religious people who turn up to church, believe in God, obey all the rules. But often we're city-disdaining, city-phobic, Religious, moral, but we find the city something we're not sure how to or whether we want to 
engage with. So the story is about God's love for an unbelieving, unjust, vile, and violent city, and how religious people like Jonah, like you and me, can get in the way or not be willing to do what God wants to do in the city. So let's stop. Let's reflect. Let's think about God's love for the city and what it means for us to join in with what he's doing in the city of Dublin, just as Jonah was struggling to find out how he could join in with what God wanted to do in the city of Nineveh. So three things. God's call to the city, God's view of the city, God's love for the city. Firstly, God's call for the city, to the city. What unites the book of Jonah is that three times, not two times, but three times, God calls Jonah to Nineveh, and he calls him to the great city of Nineveh. So even at the end, again, he's calling him back in. In chapter 1, we saw it. In chapter 3, we saw it. And now he's sort of saying, get back in the city. Go and love this big, huge, dangerous city, Jonah. In other words, God is calling Jonah out of his homogeneous city where everything's the same, Jerusalem. Everyone believes what he believes. Everyone looks like what he looks like. Everyone sort of fits the cultural norms that he kind of adopts and feels happy with. He's calling him out of his comfort zone into a big city of diversity of opinion, diversity of belief. People think differently, look differently, act differently, have different cultural preferences to you. Some of the beliefs you have, Jonah, in the city I'm sending you, you're Jerusalem, no one's got a problem with what you believe. In Nineveh, some people think you're weird. Some people might be offended at what you believe. So God is calling Jonah out of a safe and familiar place into a city full of danger, oppression, and challenge. And God does this over and over again in the scriptures. Love the cities of the world. Two examples. Well, sorry, one example. Two centuries after the Israelites had now been taken into Babylon. So Assyria and Nineveh had been sacked by the Babylonians in 612. And uh, the, uh, the Israelites had been taken into exile by, Babylon, uh, by the Babylonians in 587. They're now on the outskirts of the city of Babylon. It's the new mega, mega city of the day. And in Jeremiah 26 to 29, we read that the Jewish exiles had sort of gone to the outside of the city. Things were terrible for them. They'd been ripped from their homeland. They'd been placed in a foreign land. It was terrible. And they thought, you know, the best thing we can do as Jews that are struggling is to avoid the city. Stay out of it. Don't get contaminated. Don't try and engage with the violence and the doctrinal and cultural pollution. Stay pure as a, as a Jewish people. And shockingly, God's prophet Jeremiah says, no, 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 I have a word from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, you've been ripped out of your homeland. You're in exile. The city feels dangerous. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it prospers. You too will prosper. Move in, settle in, raise a family. Don't just prosper your own little community and your own life and your own plans. Don't just seek your own well-being. Seek the well-being of the city. There's prosperity, it's shalom, it's unity, it's flourishing. 
we want to stay out here and we just want to form our own nice little community and it's evil and wicked and heretical and unjust. God says, go, go. Years later in the book of Acts, the early Christian missionaries, especially the Apostle Paul, their church planting strategy was urban-centric. Jesus had said, go and make disciples of all nations. How did the apostles obey the command to make disciples of all nations? They planted churches in the biggest cities of the day. They almost ignored the countryside. They went to where? Corinth, Athens, Philippi, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Rome. The major cities of the first century. So much so that historians have shown by 300 AD, 50% of the urban centers were Christian, but the countryside was almost entirely pagan. So the Greek word for pagan, paganus, actually means rural man. To be a rural man was to be a pagan, but to be a city dweller meant you'd come into contact with the gospel. So why does God call Jonah, call the Babylonians, send the early apostles out and say, go to the city? Why does God continue to do that? There's a head reason and a heart reason. The head reason. God doesn't just say go to Nineveh, the city. He says go to the great, do you see that there? The great city of Nineveh. And the word great in Hebrew can mean big and important. So it's actually used great, you know, great in size and, and great in importance. It's size and it's influence. It's a big city and it's a strategic city. So God's appealing to our common sense. He says, if you have a message that you believe with all your hearts, that you want to raise your children in, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, has beauty, joy, strength, and healing within it that everyone needs to know because it's the meaning of life and to eternal life, and millions are blind to it, what do you do with that message? Go to the small corner of the world and keep it to yourself? Into the countryside? Yeah, you might reach a few individuals and an artist or a lawyer, but if you go to the city, you can reach the art culture. You can reach the law profession. So go and just preach and reach to the strategic urban centers of the day because as the city goes, so the culture goes. And we want Christians to be being salt and light within the major cities so that God's values ripple and the gospel ripples from the city outwards. So there's a head reason. It's strategic. And then there's a heart reason. In verse 5, it says that Jonah had gone out. So he had gone out of the city and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made a shelter for himself and sat in its shade to see what would happen to this big pagan city. He was wanting something bad would happen. He was wanting God to smite it. And then he sets up a shelter with a vine. And there is this vine in that part of the world that can grow up overnight. And Jonah's pleased with the vine. It's a hot place and it's got some shade and coolness. And it's lovely green vine compared to the big, bad, ugly city. And God says, you should have, you have compassion for your vine because it gives you comfort. But you don't have compassion for 120,000 people, biggest city of the day, who are spiritually lost. They don't know their right hand from the left. Should I not have compassion, should you? So God is being logical, there's a head reason. Go to the place that's strategic, you can make the biggest difference. And he's being, in a sense, emotional. There's 120,000 people who are spiritually blind. You're concerned about your little plant, your bit of greenery, because it gives you something personally. 
So God is contrasting Jonah with the plant and himself with the city. As one person put it, in the country, you have more plants than people. In the city, you have more people than plants. Since God loves people more than plants, we should go to the city. Flawless logic. A tree is lovely. I love trees. But it's not as precious or as beautiful or as amazing as one human being. There's a boulder coming down a mountain. There's a tree there. There's a person there. Who do I save? Tree's lovely, but you save the person. Every time you get on the Lewis in rush hour, every time you get on the Dart in rush hour, every time you get on the 46A bus in rush hour, every time you're on O'Connell Street, every time you're on Grafton Street, every time you're in Croke Park, every time you're at the Aviva Stadium, and there's people everywhere, you have more of the image of God and God's beauty in front of you than anywhere else in the world. There's nothing. Hundreds and thousands of beautiful people all around you. The city is full of them. Does it concern you that they don't know Jesus? It wasn't a concern to Jonah. And God rebuked him. If it's not a concern to you, hear the message of the book of Jonah. Recent missiologists have been thinking afresh about why the early church went to major cities of their day. And I've shared a few of the reasons already. And why did they go to the urban centers and Tim Keller has become the thought leader in this area, and a lot of this talk is based on his thinking. And he and, he and others give a few reasons. They say, well, the city, there's more people in the city. We've looked at that already. Go to where there's more people. And increasingly so, the cities of our world in the last 200 years have just grown and grown and grown and grown, and they keep growing. The projections that 50 to 75% of our world could live in cities is what futurists are saying. All types of people live in cities. New migrants, new people, young people, the poor, the cultural elites, the the nations of the world. Cities are full of all types of people. Jesus said, go and reach all nations. Where do I go to one place to reach? Oh, listen, there's lots of all nations in cities. They're all here. Typically in the countryside, you get one type of person. Homogeneous. In the city, you get all kinds of people. And thirdly, as I said, you affect the culture. The Roman Empire was so vast and big and powerful, but yet so many converts were made to Christianity that the cities started to become Christian in time. You know, the main reason, the number one reason, why Leanne and I ever came to Dublin with a heart to start a church was Jonah 4.11, Jeremiah 29.7, and Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul is in Athens persuaded that the evidence of the New Testament, that the best, the most effective way to spread the gospel is to plant gospel-centered churches in the heart of cities. That's why we're here, and that's why, God willing, in the next five or ten years, we want to plant a Southside congregation and a Northside congregation, and God willing, more beyond. When you think about Dublin, it includes a third of the population of the Republic of Ireland already, but more, maybe 50% every week, as my friend says, come for a huddle in Dublin, you know, for work or socials or for sporting events or whatever it is. The whole nation of Ireland sort of just seems to come in and out of Dublin every week, every month in certain capacities. You get all types of people, all nationalities, all people groups. You get the young people in the universities. You get the poor that are looking for help. You get the cultural elites. Everyone's packed into this city. And so if you can affect Dublin, the gospel could have a ripple effect all through Ireland. But actually, Dublin, because of the pharmaceutical companies, because of the tech companies because of the financial companies here, you can start to affect other parts of Europe and the world. If there's a ripple effect, it can go beyond Ireland. 
And in terms of English, the English-speaking world, the Republic of Ireland has fewer gospel-centered churches than any other English-speaking country in the world. Leanne and I are here because we heard God's call to the city. He's given it to hundreds down the years. That's why we want to become a church-planting church. Interestingly, you can ask Leanne, she didn't want to come. And she had to know a special touch from the Lord to come. Does that mean we shouldn't have Christians go to the countryside? Of course not. Of course not. Each individual has to work out what you do with your life and where you can best serve God and obey the Great Commission by how you make your decisions. There's no biblical warrant to say all Christians must live in the city. But if I, I hate the phrase, but the church institutionally, where should we invest our resources and our strategy and our metabolism and our energy and our money? It's got to go to where all the people are, which is the city. It has to be. Let's hear God's call afresh. Go to the great city of Dublin. Because God says, I have great compassion for all the people that are spiritually lost and proclaim the message that I've given you. So God's call to the city, God's view of the city. On the surface, God's view of the city seems a bit weird, almost contradictory. You know, in chapter 1, he says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. So it's, you know, because of the wickedness that's come up before me. That's literally how the book starts. So it's like, he's got against the city because he wants to preach against it. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown is what Jonah ends up preaching. Like God's going to come and smite it. In other words, he's saying, repent, give up your evil, your injustice and your violence. So I'll judge you. So it feels like God's a sort of traditional values guy, you know, a conservative. But then why does he relate, chapter, relent from judging Nineveh? Chapter 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And this was... Jonah's problem the whole time. Jonah thinks God's a big softy, a bleeding heart liberal. He's like, you'll forgive anyone. And he gives this crazy, like, I can't stand your love speech. Do you see that there? I knew you were this loving God and I couldn't stand it. I mean, you know, it's not a modern problem, is it? You know? But he doesn't like the love of God because he doesn't want his enemies to be loved and given a second chance. So he gets so mad and he says he wants to die. He'd prefer to die than for God to love the enemy. So is God a conservative? I've come to, to judge the city or a liberal? Yeah, I just have compassion. Look at verse 4 again. Uh, 4.11 again. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? It's a strange ending to a book, isn't it? I mean, God, are you sort of finalizing that you're just an animal lover right at the end of this book and that's what you want us to get? Like, okay, God loves animals too, cool. Well, God does love animals, but what are animals in the ancient world? Nowadays, we have a little card or it's on our phone. Back then, you had a big hairy thing and you slaughtered it or you exchanged it. It's money. It's money. God says, I love the economy. I have compassion on how it's run. I want it to be run justly, full of righteousness. I have compassion on the culture. I have compassion on the way business is done in the city. In other words, we mustn't say the city is a terrible, dark place. Therefore, we just love the people, but we ignore the city and its rhythms. No, we love the people and we love the city, the economy, the housing, the healthcare, the education, everything. Is God a conservative or a liberal? Does he call people to repent of their sins or does he call us to reform society and improve practical conditions of the city? Yes. Yes. He's both. God's view of the city will break any categories 
Jonah can't handle it. Can you? If I say September the 11th, it means something. I think going forward, that was September the 11th, 20, uh, 2001, where the Twin Towers in New York fell. 24th of February 2022, you know what that is? It's the day when Putin sent his armies into Ukraine. September the 11th, 24th of February, there's a sense of shock, horror in our minds. The world feels less safe. We feel less safe, and for good reason. Well, the day that shook the ancient world was the 24th of August, 410. Alaric the Goth came over the wall and sacked Rome. He and his men came over and invaded, plundered, and killed Rome. For the first time in a thousand years, the impregnable city of Rome was sacked and by barbarians. What is interesting is the Goths wasted it and left. They didn't, they didn't occupy it, they didn't settle in it, they didn't take it over. It was as if to say to the superior civilizations, see what the barbarians can do. It sent a shockwave through the ancient world, like September the 11th, like the 24th of February. And the people quickly had to rethink and re-examine. If Rome is not safe, well, what is safe? If Rome can fall, well, does that mean everything can fall? It's personal, it's financial, it's everything. If the impossible has happened, then what can I rely on if I can't rely on Rome? Everything was uncertain. If, if Europe's not safe from war, then we feel it, don't we? We feel it. Everything's up for grabs. And many Christians were shattered, just as shattered as the pagans around them. You see, hundreds of years before the fall of Rome, Christians started moving up in government and business. They became the cultural elites. And many thought, this is what God's doing. He's bringing his kingdom to earth. The city of God is becoming, you know, the earthly city. And as Rome will be one, the whole world will be one. And they have very idealistic, optimistic views of how God was going to affect the whole world and the city of Rome. And now the Christians are going, but Rome is sacked. What's happening? What's God doing? Has God abandoned us? That's what the people in... Babylon was saying. And into this vacuum came Augustine and his famous book, The City of God. And he helpfully showed us that there's two cities within any city, the city of God and the city of man, and you mustn't confuse the two. So if you're freaking out right now in 410 or in 2022 with Putin's invasion, you've confused God's eternal city with the city of man. Rome was called Civitas Eternitas, the eternal city. But Augustine reminded those early Christians that there's only one city that can never be broken, that will never fall, that is completely safe, that if you bed your life, your citizenship in, you will never fall and you will always be safe. It's the city of God. If you kill the earthly city, they're gone. You kill members of the city of God, you move them to better quarters, a better city. Psalm 46, written a little after the time of Jonah. Israel now is on the verge of being taken, the, the, the southern part of Israel, into Assyria. Everything has been thrown into confusion. There's a king called Sennacherib. You can read about it in Isaiah and in Kings and Chronicles. And he's attacking and he's giving lots of persecution and, and psychological threats. And Psalm 46, one of my favorites. Mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. Waters are roaring and foaming. Mountains are quaking. Civilizations are crumbling and unstable. But the psalmist says, my heart will not fear. And he says at the end, be still and know 
that I am God in that psalm. The world is collapsing, be still. Why? Ah, what did the psalmist say? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. When the cities of this world shake, there is a city that doesn't. When the city of the world crumbles, there is a city that doesn't. If you're freaking out right now because of the war in Ukraine, if you freaked out in 2008 when the financial crash happened, if you freaked out in September the 11th when terrorists came, if you freaked out in 410 when Alaric and the Goths came, it's because you put your security in the city of man, not in the city of God, and in wealth and prosperity and a comfortable life. And God's unsettling us to say, put your security in the one city that will never fall, it's the one I'm building that will last for eternity. Rome had stood seemingly impregnable, now fallen. The Christians were confused. You know, there's another famous book that was written more recently about that time by an Irish historian called Thomas Cahill. It's called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It is a must read. It talks about how as the ancient world went into the dark ages after Alaric the Goth came and sacked Rome and the barbarians ran wild, what happened? There was Irish monks and the beautiful places they made are now in Star Wars. Irish monks on this land continued to build the city of God and not freak out. They formed communities and they kept learning justice, love, culture and literature alive. It wasn't, if it wasn't for them, as Thomas Cahill shows, we wouldn't have ancient literature and culture. Hidden away here in Ireland, far from mainland Europe, they copied and copied and copied the manuscripts and kept civilization alive as the world went into anarchy. In other words, when the city of God was falling around them, Irish monks got together and said, how do we keep building the city of God? As the city of man fell, excuse me. How do we live for Christ? They said things like, let's consume 10% of what we produce and share 90%. Let's live simply. That's the city of God working. We may disagree with their methods and their spirit. They isolated themselves off. Maybe they had to because of the time the world was in at that stage. But the spirit and the trust they had, they were living for another city. And we reap the benefits even to this day. If Augustine, Augustine says, if you're freaking out at the fall of Rome, it's because you've over-identified with the city of man. You've confused the city of God with the city of man. But don't go too far, the book of Jonah says. It's not bad old Rome, not at all. It's not just battling against it, because at the end of the story, what do we have? The New Testament says the new heavens and the new earth come down like what? A city. The end of history as a city, as the city of God comes down and purifies and cleanses and heals all the cities of this world. We're not leaving the cities. The city will finally be purified. All that's broken and broken and burned will one day be healed. So here is how you know whether you're a citizen of the city of God. You're the best citizen of the cities of this world. Because your hope, your identity, where you get your energy, your resources, your confidence come from, doesn't come from the city of the world. It comes from the city of God, which means you don't just have to take from the cities of this world, you can give to them. Because you know where your value is. You know where your significance is. It's not in this city. It's in another city, so I can just give myself, I can serve. 
The city of the world is built on self-interest and power. But when you're in the city of God, you can give to the city of this world with service. You can give up power. Palm Sunday, a humble king. Do you see, if you over-identify with the city of man, you end up like the Christians in Rome. If you under-identify with the city of man, you end up like Jonah on the edge of the city wishing its destruction. We must never over nor under-identify with the city God places us in. So I call each of you afresh to consider the vision that God gave Jonah, to have compassion and to reach and invest and settle down. The call takes you out of the city of man, the city of money, the city of career, the city of pleasure, the city of self-interest, the city of power, and says, put your hope in the city of God and start serving the earthly cities. The call is to resist temptation to make life and career and family choices all about what makes your life comfortable and comfortable for your kids and comfortable for your career. The city can be expensive. It can be full of danger. It can put pressures on your time and schedule. It can be a harder place to raise children. You can have smaller gardens and all the rest. The city can feel alien. Some of us want to be closer to home. There's better career opportunities in another city and I could just go. Hear the call afresh. Not for personal comfort but to go, to invest, to settle down for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of 1.3 million people in Ireland, in Dublin who don't know their left from their right. I need to finish up here. I've said this many times, not really since COVID, to be honest. Many people come to the city of Dublin to take. I'm going to take an education and leave. I'm going to take some visa requirements and leave. I'm going to take a step up on the career and the pay scale and leave. That's the city of man in operation. You just come, you take, you get what you want, and you move. God says, don't just take from the city. Give, invest, sacrifice, consider. Make plans based on the gospel, not just based on your personal needs. If you come for one year, stay for two. If you come for two years, stay for five. If you come for five years, stay for ten. If you're here over five years, ten years, stay. Don't go. There's not a place in the world that speaks English that has fewer gospel-centered churches in the Republic of Ireland. And the city of Dublin gets bigger. Where else? There's liberty, there's freedom, there's no guilt here, but hear the call afresh. Maybe you go, it sounds undesirable, you know, I wanna, I'm thinking longer term and I want this and this for my life. And I just kind of think I'll retreat from the city over time. You feel scared, you feel like running away, you feel like Jonah. That's why the book's about people like you and me that can't quite hack the call that God gives to cities. Well, let's remember the last bit, God's love for the city. Years later, another Jonah would come and he'd go outside the city, not to condemn it, hoping bad things from it, but as Hebrews says, and Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go, out, go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore, for we do not have... Uh, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Jonah went outside the city to spare his life and to condemn the city. Jesus was dragged outside the city, died for its salvation, not its condemnation. When you know God's love for you in Jesus, how he's built you into an eternal city that's never going to crumble or fall or fade, when all your hope and security and identity is in that city and not this one, you'll be able to have the courage, the vision, and the willingness to sacrifice personal comfort to make decisions based on the kingdom of God that are good for this city.
I said in week one, I think I did. The story ends on a cliffhanger. And should I not have? It's a question. Chapter 411 is a question. And should I not have compassion? And there's a question mark at the end. Jesus ends nearly all of his parables open-ended. Many of them anyway. Because we're to write ourselves into the parable. We're to write ourselves into the story. We know, and, and I guess the question is, what did Jonah do? Did Jonah go back into the city? He's outside now going, God, I don't like your love for it. Did he go back in? Or did he stay outside? The writer deliberately doesn't tell us. So that we think, am I going to stay outside or get engaged? But how do we get the book of Jonah? The only way you get the book of Jonah, the only way you get this crazy I don't love your love speech that only he had with God is if Jonah wrote a book. What kind of man write a book where he's just a racist and a bigot? He's disobedient. He's a failure. He's saying, God, I don't like your love. A man that had been changed by grace. If Jonah can be changed by God's love and become a servant to the city, so you and I can be changed. We have Jesus. We have all that he's done for us. Jonah didn't. Let Jesus transform you, change you, give you grace and power for the things about the city you struggle with so that you give up that self-interest and comfort and join him on the donkey, the humble king coming to serve the big bad city. Love the city, invest in the city, stay in the city, fear no evil. God is with us. Amen.